Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Now, the passage of Scripture that I want to look at this morning is actually verses 18 through 21. I'm going to read those, and then I, I want to ask you the question, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I read these verses, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, picking up in verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow uh, in his steps. Now, I know that sometimes when we think of slaves and slavery, our, our minds, I think, often go to the African slave trade. You know, buying and selling of, of slaves. But the African slave trade and the slaves in the first century were vastly different. Uh, the African slave trade was very uh, racially uh, motivated. But in the first century, uh, slaves was really based all on economics. And, and one of the things about first century slavery, it wasn't for a lifetime. You could be a slave for a lifetime if you really loved your master. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 15 talks about that. A slave could actually have his ear pierced, and it would be a sign that he, he's committed himself to be a slave for the rest of his life uh, to his master. But rarely in the first century were people slaves after 30 years of age. It was never a lifetime uh, thing. And the reason for slavery was simply economics. Rarely was anyone a slave more than 10 years. And sometimes people came slaves because... Maybe they borrow money and, and they, they, they can't declare bankruptcy like we can today. And so they would have to pay off their debt. And what would often happen, they'd become a slave to that person until the debt uh, was paid. And, and I think sometimes when we think of, of slaves, we think of those who are working out in the fields. Yet in the first century, Christian slaves were doctors and lawyers and accountants and educators, very highly educated people, not just people who did um, labor you know, with their hands. And, and the problem that Peter's addressing is not so much about slavery, but bad masters. So it, it's, a, it's actually a vast difference between the African slaves and first century slaves. Now most historians and scholars will agree that in this period of time, there's probably about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. It is part of the Roman fabric of life, of their society. And Peter, nor Paul, nor Jesus challenges us to reform the human system that we live in. Now remember why Jesus was here on earth. The Jews wanted a political Messiah. They wanted someone politically strong who would overtake the Roman government. And yet Jesus says, go ahead, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes to, to Caesar. In fact, if a Roman asks you to go one mile, go two miles. So as we're reading through the New Testament, I'm thinking, where, where are the writers that are going to bring together, band together, and reform the government? Uh, now that we're Christians, shouldn't we make the government more Christian-like? Well, I think Peter and Paul um, would be living in a system that they understood would always, there would be always a time that they were opposed to the stuff that we as Christians would hold dear. That is how this world lives. So nowhere in the New Testament can you find a Christian being told to take down the government. What we're told is, is to live godly lives. And the more Christians that live godly lives, 
it begins to change the culture. Two completely different approaches when it comes to changing what's happening around us. In fact, it's Christianity is what brought, um, what began to break up the, the, the foundation of slavery. In Galatians chapter 3.28, Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor freed, but we are all one in Christ. And this really began to cause people to be uncomfortable about that. See, in social circles, there was masters over there, there were slaves over here. But when they gathered together in the church, they were one. They sat together. In fact, Paul said, you know, give each other a holy kiss. Now you imagine masters kissing their slaves. And so this began to break down the fabric of slavery. The reason that slavery fell apart was because of Christianity, not despite Christianity. In fact, there's a book in the New Testament called the book of Philemon. Paul writes to his friend Philemon, who has slaves, and one of his slaves has run off, Onesimus. And somehow God has orchestrated that this slave, this runaway slave, finds himself in Rome, where Paul actually is, and Paul is in prison. God somehow orchestrates circumstances that the two meet together, a runaway slave and Paul in prison. And his encounter with Paul, Paul presents the gospel to him, and Onesimus, his runaway slave, his life radically changes. And he begins to, uh, to really be an encouragement to Paul, and Paul notices the transformation. And so he writes a letter, actually, to his friend Philemon. And I just wanted to read a, a couple of verses from that book, just so you get an idea why the slavery began to fall apart. Uh, in Philemon's uh, verse... Uh, 14, Paul writes to his friend, he says, but I do not want you to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do uh, may not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. You can see why talk like that began to abolish this master-slave relationship. Now the thing is, Jesus didn't come to set people free from slavery. He came to set people free from sin. But when people came to Jesus and, and their sins were forgiven, it began to change the culture that was all around them. I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians were actually accused of trying to bring down the Roman economy because nobody could pitch an economy where there weren't slaves involved. In fact, you can read a lot of non-religious material that give Christianity a lot of a credit for bringing down slavery and the fact that in the 4th century there's hardly any slavery in existence. Uh, people were no longer looked at as, as a piece of property. They were looked at as a person. William, William Wilberforce, maybe you have heard that name before. In 1785, he was 25 years old, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he talked about how his lifestyle changed completely. And he dedicated 20 years of his political career to bring down the British Empire slave trade market. Uh, you think of people like... Um, John Newton, who wrote the, the, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, right? A captain of a slave trip, uh, ship for 20 years, transporting African slaves. But then he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. His life completely changed. And it began to change his impact on all those around him. You think of a lot of the abolitionists, many of them God-fearing followers of, of Jesus. And, 
and they give credit for bringing down this whole idea of slavery. So those who are, who are new to the Bible are wondering what, why the Bible doesn't explicitly bring down slavery. That's the answer. Jesus didn't come to change national culture. He came to change people's hearts. And the more hearts that were changed, the more that the culture began to change. Now you might say, okay, great, Donald. Thank you for that little history lesson on slavery. But what does that have to do with me living in the 21st century? I think it's a great question. So let me answer that. In verse 18, there's that word submit. We talked about that last week, submission. Man, sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. And here Peter brings it up again about submitting. Uh, last week we talked about submitting to human authorities. Well, here now Peter's talking to slaves, servants, to be submissive to our masters. I, I think in, in our context, to make it relevant would be being submissive to our boss, our, our employer. And notice that it doesn't say if your boss deserves it, submit. It doesn't say if he treats you nice, submit to him. It doesn't say if he treats you fairly, submit to him. He says, no, simply submit. And submission really is an act of the will. It's not just so much about doing it, but it also has to do with our attitude. When I was in high school, there was this number one country hit song. And I can remember it. It was, had a really catchy tune. It was sung by Johnny Paycheck. And the song was called, Take This Job and Shove It. I ain't working here uh, no more. It was a catchy tune. And maybe that's how you feel about uh, your job. You would like to just say, take this job and, and shove it. That's, you resonate uh, with those lyrics. Well, I am reminded that you know, um, other than your home, you will spend more time at work than any other uh, place. In fact, half of your waking hours will be spent at your job site. And so when you reach 70 years of age, data says that you have um, worked 20 solid years of your life. And because we spend so much time on the job site, it's like a stage. It's like a platform for believers to live out their lives in front of others. Many of you will have far greater impact on people around you than any pastor or any preacher could ever have. And so when I read through there, there are a couple principles maybe we can draw from that that will help us at, at our job. Number one, he just simply gives a practical command, you know, submit as servants. Now, uh, if you know a little bit of Greek, sometimes maybe you've heard the word doulos used. And I think it's used like 126, 127 times in the New Testament referring to slaves. But in this particular situation, Paul uses a different word. It's only used four times in the New Testament. It's oikos. And it doesn't just refer to, you know, um, maybe low-level slaves. This idea refers to well-educated lawyers, doctors, accountants, educators, musicians, they're to submit. It has this idea, those have a very close relationship with the family, the master's family. Now, you'd be tempted, I'm sure, as a lawyer or doctor, to say, I know far more than what the master knows. Now, yet Peter says, uses that word oikos, submit yourself uh, to your master. Peter seems to be telling us to use slavery in such a way that people are compelled to listen to your message. So it's a practical command. But there's obviously, as we just read, there's a potential <laughs> a complication because not every boss is a good one. Some are harsh, some are crooked, some are twisted. And sometimes the employee will suffer. Sometimes you'll suffer 
wrong belief. Maybe because you have a harsh boss. Maybe you had a really good boss, but the boss has changed, and now that particular boss is pretty harsh. And uh, you're trying to listen and be obedient, but man, it's finding it very hard. I think Peter's just reminding us that life is, is a mix of good and bad, and we are to use both as opportunities to demonstrate what Christ is in our life. Because you'll have good bosses, and you'll have not so good bosses. Harvard University study said that 85% of the people that are hired are actually hired because of their attitude far more than their smarts, which is often, uh, there's this little quote that I often say, our attitude of gratitude will always set the altitude for which we are living and working. So it does get complicated sometimes. But then there is this very powerful consideration. And that passage says, do good even when you are being treated wrong. I mean, it's one thing to mouth off the boss. It's one thing to be a slacker at work and you get reprimanded. But it's when you get reprimanded for doing what is right, that's what it makes it hard to deal with. Now, no doubt, this letter that Peter is writing is writing to Christians who are suffering under the hand of some pretty hard taskmasters. And sometimes we suffer because we deserve it. You know, maybe we cut corners, we quit early. Yeah, we understand those kind of reprimands. But it's when... Things seem unjust, and yet Peter's telling us, submit to your boss, your employee. Um, I, I heard uh, an office had this sign hanging uh, where everyone kind of went into work and left work, and the sign said, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you should be here at 5 o'clock when everybody comes alive. I realize sometimes... Um, you suffer, and you don't deserve it. I get it. I understand that. I think of Daniel. Remember his co-workers that he worked with? Tried to put a gap in between him and his boss, the king, and what happened? Daniel ends up in a den of lions. Not because he deserved it. It seemed very unjust. Uh, what about Joseph, who suffered the lies of those all around him? Suffered unjustly. And yet when he met his People who lied and cheated about his life, and he confronted them, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us we should work as though we're working unto the Lord. But really, be honest, how do you do that? My suggestion would be, take God to the workplace with you. Take God to the workplace with you. Heard a story about three guys working at the same job. They were all asked the same question. They went to the first guy. They said, what do you do? He says, I'm breaking rocks. What does it look like I'm doing? Went to the second guy. What are you doing? He said, hey, I'm making a living for my family. Went to the third guy. He's doing the same job. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping build a cathedral. <laughs> Three different attitudes, but the same job. You have the opportunity to get through it, or you have the opportunity to thrive in fact, I think as you only have a couple options as a Christian. One, you submit uh, to those, your bosses and your employer. Or, really, you quit because you feel like you can't do that. And then, of course, we just read it here. There's that personal calling. For this you have been called. You'll have good bosses, you'll have bad bosses, but you were called to this to suffer because Christ also, also suffered for us. And we are to follow in his footsteps. Who do we follow? We follow Jesus. We follow a suffering Savior. And God's plan is not for us just to show up 
at, at work, but I think he uses it as an opportunity to grow us. That job is to help shape you. And suffering can be very beneficial in molding you and shaping you to be more like Christ. It keeps us humble. It keeps us dependent. Your prayer life, my prayer life is at its best when life is hurting. No wonder God allows periods of suffering in our lives. And then, of course, we're reminded in Scripture that his grace will always be sufficient to be able to handle it. Listen, let me just bring uh, this around to us. Some of you are right now experiencing injustice in your life. Maybe it's in various ways. Uh, maybe some of you are still frustrated what it feels like to work with um, consistent injustices at work. And, um, and we should be frustrated, I, I think, by that. I get it. But it doesn't mean we don't submit to it. Maybe for some of you, you're like, why is it taking so long to create a society where, where there's no discrimination and, and prejudice is, is a thing of the past and, and there's no hint of in, inequality? Why? why? Why can't we just have justice everywhere we go? Or maybe you're discouraged because you have a spouse that has treated you really badly. And you've tried to make things right. But you're under this cloud of unfair uh, treatment and slander. And you just don't feel like you're receiving any justice. Or maybe you've been taken advantage of in business. You've, you have fought in the courts. You've tried to, to make your case. But the other person got away with it. And you feel like injustice prevailed. Now in a country like ours, obviously we, we're blessed. We can protest all of these things. And, and I think since we have the opportunity to do it legally, yeah, I think that's fine. We can also pray for deliverance, and we should, I think, pray for that. But realizing at some level, Peter said, talked about injustice, that we have been called to this. We should expect it. It is the path of Jesus. Let me tell you, God is not blind to our sufferings. He will give justice one day. But in the meantime, he's using our suffering as part of a redemptive work in this world. So like Paul and Peter, I take my refuge in 2 Peter 2.21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. And when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we have been healed. Which means, be patient. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. Be patient. Commit yourself to him who judges justly. Continue to do good even when you are treated wrong. Because God brings salvation through wounds, just like he did with his son Jesus. Oftentimes people are drawn to our response when we're wounded, when we're hurt, when we have been treated unfairly. And I continue to rest in the fact that this world 
<laughs> it is not my home. I'm a sojourner, I'm an exile, I'm a stranger, and my ultimate just, just, justice, your ultimate justice and reward will be found in the resurrection and our eternal kingdom. And every day, <laughs> it gets closer. Every day, we get one step closer to our heavenly home, and I can't wait. And I suspect there are many that are listening today that can't wait for that day when we finally meet Jesus face to face. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no